prayer this morning that in all we do we would honor our King Jesus Christ. Good morning. Welcome to Northside Baptist Church. How's everybody doing today? Everybody doing good? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, welcome. If this is your first time with us, we are so excited to have you. Somebody said right before the service, man, I'm seeing a lot of new faces these days. And so we praise the Lord for that. A lot of new faces. We want to extend a special welcome to you inside the bulletin as a place for you to fill out some information. I promise we're not going to come try to sell you anything or harass you. Uh, it just helps us to know who you are. Uh, there's a way for you even to mark how we can pray for you and your family. And so if you would just take a moment, fill that out for us. And at the end of the service, you can either give that to me, Pastor BJ, or there's a little box right out there in the foyer. You could put it in there. We would greatly appreciate it. If you have any questions about Northside while you're here, uh, we would love to be able to talk with you and answer some of those questions. Uh, let me just for a moment uh, talk to you. I sent out an email on Friday. Uh, if you didn't get that email, then when you walked in, you noticed the chairs looked a little bit different this morning. Um, so we're in this position right now as a church where we know that the numbers of cases are on the rise again. We see that. Uh, but also, our attendance is on the rise. And the last two weeks, uh, praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord for that. Um, in the last two weeks, our sections of chairs have been pretty full. To the point, our, our greeters have had to ask a few people to kind of shift around. And plus, with our children's musical, we didn't want the seats on the ends where you couldn't see very well. And so we brought them back together. We'll assess the situation as we go forward. There's still plenty of, of seats available. And you can still social distance, at least to the left or right of you, if you want. You can take a seat and put a few things in the seats next to you. If you're not comfortable in church, we need to understand that. We need to respect people. If they want a little bit uh, more space, you need to respect that. Just a couple things that I'm going to ask you to do for us as we continue to move forward uh, in a season where numbers are going up. And frankly, I think a lot of people are tired of social distancing and all of that. So just a couple things. One, 
If you are sick or someone in your family is sick, we're just going to ask you to stay home. You can still watch online. We just want to be extra careful uh, in this season. Secondly, we're going to continue to ask you to sit with your family. At some point, you, you can return sitting over here where I'm used to you sitting when I first came, but continue to sit with your family. And the third thing, which is really helpful and important, when the service is over, even I got a little uh, slack in this because we get a little comfortable as the numbers are going down. If you will just make your way outside, in particular, if you will not congregate out here in the foyer. We do have some people who come to Sunday school and then leave, and we do have some people who come to worship, but they try to get to their car as soon as possible because they're trying to social distance. So if you could just leave that clear, even the front door's outside, if you can just kind of spread out a little bit so people can, can get outside if they need to get outside quickly, uh, we would really, really appreciate that. I mean, let me just praise God for a moment. Man, he has been good and gracious to our church over these last eight or nine months. Uh, we have not had any massive spreads in our church. Uh, for the most part, those of you who have had it, you remain relatively healthy. You got over it pretty quickly. I praise the Lord for that. There are some churches who have been hit much harder, and, and they're, they're in the midst of that. And so God has been good and gracious, and we praise him for that. At this time, Miss Emma's going to come. She has a couple announcements about Operation Christmas Child. I told you we're going to emphasize this week in and week out. Then I'm going to add something to hers when she's done. And then we're going to sing a little bit more. So go right ahead. Okay, so today was supposed to be like the day that everybody brought their boxes in, but we have now moved it to next Sunday. So y'all still have time if you haven't made your box yet. Yesterday, we made bags um, till like 2.30. We were just going. It was awesome. And I think, how many did we make? Was it like 67 or something? Okay. A total of 75. We made about 50 yesterday. This is what they looked like. So super cute. Um, and so if you brought your box today, you can, there's going to be, I think, a stack of boys and girl bags that you can put into your box. And we're going to make sure every box gets one of those. But we have, I think I counted 66 boxes that we, no one's picked up. So if y'all are willing, if one family, like just each family could just get one box today and then bring it back next week, that would be awesome so that we can get to our goal of 200. And I think that is all that I had to say. Let me just echo that. If every family would just take one box, just one more box. You say, well, maybe I already filled three, five, one box between $9 postage and however much you put into the box. If your family would just eat out one less time in November or December, you can cover that. Um, so we got one. All right. So please pick that up. Um, and it was awesome uh, to see some of the pictures of, of those of you that gathered yesterday in the Fellowship Hall and did all that. Fantastic. Let me say one more thing, and I'm going to remind you at the end of the service. You need to be here tonight at 6 o'clock to watch our kids in, in the musical. Uh, last night we had a lot of family members that came, and so tonight I'm going to challenge you as a church member to be here. I promise you, whatever you're doing at 6 o'clock will not be near as rewarding as if you come here. Last night was incredible. We have so much talent with our, with our children, and some of our students were involved, and the adults that pour into these kids. It was amazing. So please, at 6 o'clock, be here. You will have a blast. You will laugh, and you will learn. There are some awesome messages that they communicate 
through. So I expect every single one of you to be back tonight at 6 o'clock unless you have a good reason as to why you cannot be here. And you got to tell Wanda and Tim Potter what that reason is. <laughs> let, me, uh, let me pray, and while I'm praying, Curtis, if you'll come, and then we'll get ready to worship uh, this morning. Father, it is good to be in your house this morning. It is good to gather with our brothers and sisters in Christ. This is biblical. We are being faithful to gather and to worship you. And yet, Lord, we know the climate in which we're in. And Father, we know that the, the numbers are climbing. Hospitals are beginning to be overrun with sick patients. And so, Lord, I, I think we do have an obligation to our brothers and sisters and to others to love them. And so, Father, there are, there are things that we can do, Lord, to help prevent this spread. Uh, and yet, Lord, still allow us to worship together. And so, Father, help us to do those things. Help us to be willing to make some sacrifices so that we can continue to be healthy, so that we can continue to worship together as the body of Christ here in Northside. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing here. Thank you for our visitors. Thank you for our guests. Thank you for our, the new folks who have been worshiping with us now for, for some time. Thank you, Father, for our, our, our home folks, Lord, for their faithfulness for what they're doing to serve the body and to love the body and to love you. Fathers, we continue to worship this morning. We pray that you would speak to us through song. Lord, that you would convict us. Lord, that you would remind us as we sing about just being uh, amazed in your presence, as we sing about how you receive sinful men. Lord, may we come humbly, but may we also come boldly this morning to give you the praise and the glory. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Amen. Stand and continue to worship with us. Sinner Jesus will receive soundless word of grace to all through the heavenly pathway lead all who linger, all who fall sing it all and o'er again Christ receive his sinful man, make the message clear and plain, Christ receive his sinful man, come and he will give you rest, trust him for his word is plain, he will take the sinful last, Christ receive his sinful man. Be 
from every spot and stain. Have with him, I enter and sing it over and over again. Christ receive his sinful man. Make the message clear and plain. Christ receive his sinful man. Thank you. you may be seated.
to show us the way, don't we? Amen. Let's stand again as we sing. standing, if you will, and turn to 1 John, 1 John chapter 5, as we continue our study through this book, and uh, we'll wrap it up here in the next couple weeks. 1 John chapter 5, we're going to be in verses 13 through 17, 13 through 17. Verses 13, 14, and 15, I think are pretty straightforward Verses 16 and 17 are a little difficult to understand uh, and to interpret, and so we'll, we'll look at that when we get to that point. But beginning in verse 13, this is the word of the Lord. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. You may be seated. In 1921, Thomas Edison, with many inventions to his credit, said these words. Now, understand we've had a hundred years here in which we've learned a lot, but he said, we don't know the millionth part of one percent about anything. He said, we don't know what water is. We don't know what light is. 
We don't know what gravitation is. We don't know what electricity is. We don't know what heat is. Now, again, we've learned a lot in the hundred years since he said these words, but he went on to say, we have a lot of hypotheses about these things, but that is all. But then he said these words, but we do not let our ignorance about all these things deprive us of their use. There is much, if we are honest this morning, that we understand about God in his word because he has revealed it to us. There is much that we understand. But I think if, we are also under, if we're also honest, we have to say there is much we do not fully understand. And we may not understand in this life. But hear me, just because we may not understand something fully does not mean we should not use it or grow in it. And so this morning we're going to talk about prayer. There's some difficult verses that we're going to look at. Some verses that I'm going to give you possible interpretations, but I cannot definitively tell you what I think John's purpose was when he wrote it, what exactly it is referring to. We, we just don't know. Full disclosure, when it comes to prayer, I may be the last person that should be teaching you about prayer. You read books that some people have written about prayer, and you're like, man, they know how to pray. Prayer has been something that I've struggled with a lot in my life, and I'm not alone in that. I've heard many preachers say prayer is something they've struggled with. I've had many Christians say, look, I just don't fully know how to pray, and especially when it comes to God's will and understanding that and how to pray according to that. And so there are some things we don't know, but in our text, there's also some things that we do know. And that we can have assurance of these things. And so I want you to see two of those this morning. And number one, and we're going to go through this really quickly. But number one is this, the assurance of eternal life. The assurance of eternal life. We talked about eternal life last week. And then we read in verse 13. And this is the very purpose for John writing this short letter. He says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. That you may know that you have eternal life. Verse 13 flows out of the preceding verses. Last week we talked about the three witnesses that testify that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, Savior of the world, Lord of our life. And we talked about how eternal life is found only in Jesus. And then out of that, right, verse 12, he says, whoever has the Son has life. We talked about that. And then he goes on to write, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. This letter is written to believers in Christ. And he's saying you can know, you can have assurance that eternal life is yours. I think John's purpose is that his readers would first hear. And in hearing, they would believe. And in believing, they would live. And in living, they would know. As you and I live out the Christian life, according to John, our life should be different. There should be some evidences and some signs that we've been born again. And as we begin to see these in our life, it gives us assurance that we belong to Jesus. Again, we talked about this last week. You don't have to live this morning in fear of, do I have eternal life with Jesus? John says you can know that. This can be a settled matter in your life. And if you don't know if you have eternal life, you're uncertain, please see me, see BJ, reach out to somebody and say, listen, I want to know that I have eternal life. How do I know that? That's the first certainty. 
And here's the second one. This is where we're going to spend our time this morning, and that is this, the assurance of answered prayer. The assurance of answered prayer. He says in verse 14, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. John moves from confidence of eternal life to the confidence of answered prayer by the believing Christian. That we can have the confidence this morning that God hears and answers our prayer. So notice several things that will appear on the screen. I'm going to go through them quickly. But notice number one, we can have confidence in our prayer life. We can have confidence in our prayer life, verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. Confidence in what? That if we ask anything, right? He's talking about praying to God. We can have confidence. That word confidence means freedom of speech. It means boldness. It means openness. As a believer in Christ, through Jesus, through the Spirit of God in us, we can go boldly before our Heavenly Father. We come, yes, with fear and reverence. We don't have to come trembling. We don't have to come questioning whether God will hear us or not. We can have confidence, the freedom of speech, boldness, openness. God already knows what's on your heart before you say it. So you might as well just be honest with him, right? He knows you can have confidence in your prayer life. Number two, we can have confidence before him. That's what he says, verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him or before him. Understand that when you pray, you are praying in the presence of God. And you can do that in your car, here in the sanctuary, wherever you are. You can enter into the very presence of God and you can pray before him in his presence. And you can have confidence in doing that. Number three, we can have confidence when we ask. When we bring our petitions before him, verse 14, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything, verse 15, and if if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him, right? So often in prayer, we are asking God to do things, maybe to, to grant something in our life or to move in a certain way or to do a certain thing. We are bringing these requests before him. Church, you can take your request. You can take your hurts, and you can take your burdens, and you can take every single one of your petitions, and you can take them before your good and gracious Father. Man, he asks. Just as maybe you would climb up in the lap of your father when you were little and ask him of something so you can draw near to your father, your Abba Father, and you can bring your petitions to him. You can ask him. And then he says this. We can have confidence that God hears us. Amen? Confidence that God hears us. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know, right, that language know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. We know that he hears us. The God of the universe hears our prayers and he knows our thoughts. I am one of nearly seven and a half billion people on this planet that we call Earth. And every time I go into the presence of God and pray, He hears me. Every single time. But I don't understand one millionth of that. That God could hear me, let alone every single one of us praying at the same time, and yet God hears. 
As Christians, we pray to the Father. We pray through the Son, Jesus Christ. We pray by the Spirit. And John says, if we ask, God hears us. And then he says, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request. John is saying, not only does he hear us, but he answers us. We know that when we ask, he gives. And hear me, God answers you immediately. He answers you immediately. Look, when Abraham prayed for a son, God answered him immediately. It just took Abraham and Sarah a long time before they knew the answer. But God answers immediately. He hears and he answers. But notice, there is a very important condition in this verse as we pray. And what is it? And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything, now don't stop there, that if we ask anything, he hears us, but what does he say? That if we ask anything according to his will, according to his will, this is the condition, this is the qualification that when we pray, we must pray according to his will. Will. So let me just kind of maybe walk through this with you, what maybe I think this looks like. I think it begins, and this will be on the screen as well, with us praying. Right, we begin to pray, and as we pray, John says our prayer should be according to his will. So in our prayer life, right, we are to seek his will. Prayer is not a way for me to impose my will upon God. That is not prayer. Prayer is not a way for us to bend God's will to ours. Prayer is not a way for us to manipulate God. Let's be honest. We have all prayed this way at some point. God, if you do this, then I will do this. God, if you get me into this college, I promise I'll go to church every Sunday. God, if you save my marriage, I promise I'll tithe when I've never tithed before. Like we, we make these promises to God because we think in praying this way, we can manipulate God. That is not prayer. Prayer is God's prescribed way for us to surrender our will to his. It is through prayer that we come to know the will of God, that we come to hear God, and then we want to pray according to his will. We seek his will when we pray, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done. So we pray, we begin by seeking his will, and then we trust. We embrace his will. We pray not according to our sinful wishes, but rather according to what an all-wise, infinite, and holy God desires. And here's the reality. Here's what every single one of us has had to learn at some point in our life. Sometimes our desires are not God's desires for us. Sometimes what we want is not what our Heavenly Father wills and desires for our life. And so after we've prayed, after we've brought our petition and our request, and as we're praying, God, your will be done, at some point we then have to move to this place where we begin to trust, where we begin to embrace his will over our will. God, what is your will? And am I okay with that? Will I receive it? Will I accept it? Will I embrace it? And then that leads us to a place where we have to praise him. We have to align ourselves with his will. Hear me, faith will accept that God's will is best and it will trust his plan and purpose even if we don't understand it all the time. Now let's be honest, right? He, Edson, Thomas said, you, we don't know the one millionth of these things. 
Listen, when it comes to understanding the will of God, there are times that I feel like I don't understand one millionth of the will of God. Now look, there are some things that we clearly know is the will of God. Let's just take 1 John, for example. I'll remind you of this for the thousandth time in our study. What is God's will for you? It is that you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That is clear. That's the will of God for you. It is the will of God for you that you love your brother and your sister, that you love one another. That is the will of God for you. You don't have to struggle with that. And your prayer life, God, am I supposed to love this person? The answer is yes. It's clear. That's the will of God. The will of God for your life is that you keep his commandments. So God, is it your will for me to, to keep your commandment and be faithful? The answer is always yes. That's his will. But then there's other times that we're just not certain of what the will of God is. And there will be times that it is easier for us than others to pray and to trust, to embrace and to praise God. There will be times when what you ask of God is exactly what God gives you. Because that's his will. You know what's easy in those moments? Thank you, God. That was what, thank you for that blessing. Thank you for opening that door. This was the desire of my heart. There are moments in our lives where it may be easy for us to pray, to trust, and to embrace, right? And to trust Him. But sometimes what we pray and our desires are not God's will for our life. And it's in those moments can we get to the place where we can still praise Him? So what happens when you are praying for a promotion and you want that promotion and you think it will be good for you? So you begin to go to the Lord and you begin to pray, God, I want to seek your will. Lord, this is my desire. And, and we add the phrase, but your will be done. It's not, that's not just a, it's something we add on just to protect ourselves, but we, we just say, God, your will be done, right? And then we begin, okay, God, I want to embrace your will. I want, I want to trust your will. And then you get the email or the call that says, We've decided to go with somebody else. That wasn't what you wanted. It's not what you really prayed for. It's not how you prayed, but obviously it's the will of God because if you believe God is sovereign and he wanted you to have that promotion, then you would have that promotion. In that moment, when God didn't answer your prayer the way you wanted, can you still praise him? Can you in that moment say, God, I really wanted that, but obviously for whatever reason, that was not your will, and I will trust you in that. What about when it comes to praying for Someone who is sick. Someone who is maybe nearing death. We begin to pray, God, would you heal them? God, I know you can. I know you're able. Can you, if God chooses, if they're a believer in Christ and God chooses to go ahead and take their life and heal them through them spending an eternity with him in glory, can you at the end of the day praise him? Look, I'm not telling you this is easy. But I'm telling you it's possible. No matter what we pray, no matter what we ask, if we believe that God is sovereign and we are to pray according to his will, then whatever happens at the end of the day, we still have to praise him. We still have to trust him. I don't understand it. I don't understand why James in the New Testament was, was killed. He's a martyr. And Peter's in prison, but Peter doesn't die in prison. He, he's delivered. You think James's family didn't pray that he would live? I can't explain that. I don't know why that is. Listen, I don't know why right now we have hundreds of thousands of people in hospitals and some of them in that hospital will die from COVID and others will walk out and live a long life. I don't know why God chooses to heal some and not others. I can't answer that for you. I don't know one millionth of that. But what I know is at the end of the day, if I believe in the will of God, then I have to submit and trust in that, whether I like it or not. And that's not easy. 
But this is where God needs to bring us. And can we really say, I'm praying for the will of God to be done, and whatever that is, I'm going to trust that. And then that leads us into verses 16 and 17, as what John does here is he gives us a specific example of how we're to pray. And that is we are to pray for others. We are to intercede for others, right? He gives a specific illustration of, of intercessory prayer. As Christians, our prayer life isn't just selfish. It's not selfish. We are to pray for others. Our prayer life is to be loving. We are to lift up and pray for others. And so what does John say? Well, the first part of verse 16, I think, is pretty simple. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask. Look at this. If anyone sees, see that word? If anyone sees his brother sinning. This is something you have seen. This is not speculation. This is not, oh, I think so-and-so may be doing that. No, you have seen evidence that someone is sinning. So what then are you to do? What are you to do when you see your brother or sister sinning? Is the first thing you're supposed to do to pick up the phone and call me your pastor? No. It may eventually lead you to the place where you feel like you need to come to me and say, hey, I'm concerned about so-and-so. I've been praying for him. I've tried to talk to him. But the first thing you do when you see a brother sinning is you do not call your pastor. What do you do when you see your brother or sister sinning? Do you call up your friends? Hey, man, I just, I, I just got to share something with you. My heart's really burned. I got to let you know what I just saw so-and-so doing. We need to pray for them. You know what that's called? Gossip in the name of prayer. That's what we do. I got to tell you what I just found out about. So we got to pray for them. No, you don't got to tell them. You pray for them, but they don't have to know that. So what do we do? Do we, when we see a brother or sister sinning, right, do we shake our heads in disgust? How could he or she do such a thing? That's called being judgmental. What are we to do when we see a brother or sister in sin? What does John tell us? If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall what? Ask. He shall pray for them. He shall pray specifically, right, that God will give them life. There may be times when you see a brother or sister become entangled, ensnared in sin. And what they need from you is for you to fall on your knees and intercede on their behalf. And there may be a time where you become the one entangled in sin. And what you need is somebody in this church, your spouse, your children, your Sunday school teacher, where you will need someone to fall on their knees and intercede on your behalf as you have become enslaved to a sin in your life. We need people to pray for us. We need to be faithful to pray for others but we do not need to be so quick to spread that to everyone around us. James Montgomery Boyce writes, Sin in a brother becomes all too often a cause for gossip rather than a cause for prayer. So John gives us this example of, hey, look, when we see somebody in sin, we need to pray for them. Now, full disclosure, this is where this gets difficult. I told you last week when I was reading the commentaries on the witnesses, the water and the blood that, that some commentators said, look, that, that's the hardest verses in 1 John. I would disagree. I think that's a lot easier than what John's about to say right here. Because John mentions this phrase. Look at it with me. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death. Okay, well, what in the world is that? 
He shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. And I do not say that one should pray for that. So John here writes to his audience that there is a sin that leads to death. Does John reveal to us what that sin is? No. Man, I wish he would have. But he didn't. And here's what that tells us. What that tells us is John's original audience knew what that sin was. They either had heard John talk about it or that the church just knew. In that day, when they talked about a sin that led to death, they knew what it was. Here we are 2,000 years later trying to read back and understand what is this sin that leads to death. So here's what I'm going to do very quickly. I'm going to give you some possible interpretations. If you love to dive in and study this in greater detail, then I'm going to encourage you to do that. And after I give you these illustrations, I'm going to come back to, I think, the main point I want you to take away from this. So here's some possible interpretations. Some people see that this sin that leads to death is a specific sin. A specific sin that would be considered unforgivable. A sin that you commit in your life that is beyond the reach of God's grace. The Catholic Church has often divided sins into mortal sins, deadly sins like murder, adultery, and and venial sins, which are non-deadly. So could this mean that this sin that you commit is a particular sin that if you commit this one sin, you are now beyond the reach of God's grace? Could that sin be murder? Could it be adultery? Well, David was both, and God forgave him. Could that, could that be that if you ever deny Jesus publicly, that, that you can't be forgiven of that? Well, that's what, that's what Peter did three times, and Peter was forgiven and restored. The apostle Paul was a murderer, and yet God forgave him and restored him. So when you think about the possible interpretations, I don't think this is a viable one. Because there are sins in our life that we have committed that we know, 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So some people say that this specific sin is a murder, adultery, that if you do it, you can't be forgiven. And I believe that if you confess that sin to God, he will forgive you and restore you. So I don't believe it's that option. Some people talk about this leading to death as actual a physical death. Not a, not a spiritual death, but a physical death. Death, so that you could commit a sin for so long that eventually you just die from it. Possibly, but again, I don't know if that's the interpretation. I mean, I guess if you're an alcoholic, you struggle with that, like that disease could take your life. You could get behind the wheel and die driving drunk. I mean, sometimes that happens. A certain sin that we commit will lead to a physical death. But again, I don't don't think that's what it is either. But the, the last two, I think, are both possible. One is apostasy or rejection of the gospel. A denial of Christ and faith. Again, now who is John refuting here? John is refuting a group of people who were in the church, claimed to be part of the church, claimed to know Jesus, and now are denying this same Jesus. And what does John say of them? They went out from us because they were not of us. Here's what I believe. I believe the scripture teaches that if you have given your life to Jesus Christ, that you will persevere in your faith, and therefore you will be saved. So if you take this idea of apostasy or rejection of Christ, I don't think it's a believer, a genuine believer who has now walked away from Christ. I think it is someone who had the appearance of having eternal life but didn't really know Jesus as the false teachers. 
Someone who has just outright rejected Jesus. Now hear me. If you continue to reject Jesus and to reject his salvation, that will lead to your eternal death in hell. So therefore that could be a possible interpretation. And one more is the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Right, The only unforgivable sin. That's what they were doing in Matthew 12. They were claiming Jesus' works were done by the, weren't done by the Spirit of God, but done by the power of Beelzebub. And so if you, again, deny Christ, deny the power of Christ, deny the works of Christ, then that would lead to your being separated from Christ. So what is the sin that leads to death? I don't know. I mean, that, that's the best I can give you. I don't know. John's clear. His audience would have known it. But you and I, I don't know if we can definitively say that. But here's, here's the big picture that I want you to understand. I think sometimes, and I've even found myself doing that this week, we tend to focus on the sin that leads to death. And then and you, what does that mean? Rather than just understanding that there are sins that don't lead to death, that there is forgiveness that there is grace, that there is mercy available for all of us who believe in the name of Jesus Christ, that we can be forgiven. But here's the sobering reality, church. Not everyone is going to be saved. We all know people who refuse to believe in the name of Jesus Christ. They continue to disobey. They continue to walk away from God. They continue to make a mess of their lives. And sometimes we'll go to them, right, and we'll say, listen, you got to stop this. This isn't the will of God for your life. He's got a better plan for you. He sent Jesus to die for you. You're out of the will of God. You need to be saved. And they don't listen to us. So what do we do then? Do we give up on them? I don't believe so. I believe that we go to God and we say, God, I've said all I can say. I've done all that I can do. I don't know what else to do. So God, I'm asking you to intervene in their life. Save them from themselves. And you declare to God, God, it is out of my hands. I cannot save them, but you can. Let me give you a word of encouragement. Just because it's out of your hands doesn't mean it's out of God's hands. Doesn't mean it's out of God's hands. So you and I, if we see our brother or sister in sin, need to pray for him because God is the one who can convict them and restore them. And if we have an unbeliever in our life, we pray for their salvation because God is the one who can save them and transform their lives. Verse 17, all wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Look, sin is serious, regardless of the type of sin. It's serious. All sin is a serious matter to God, right? It says all wrongdoing is sin. All sin is rebellion against God. It is a violation of God's standard of what is right. So you and I need to be saved from our sin. And only Jesus Christ can give us the victory over sin. So two questions as we close. Number one, have you trusted in Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sin? Have you trusted in the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead that delivers you not only from the penalty of sin and the power of sin, but one day will deliver you from the very presence of sin? Have you believed in the name of Jesus? And church, if you have, and I understand that most of our crowd on Sunday mornings are Bible-believing, Jesus-loving people. So let me read some closing verses to you and just ask you when it comes to the will of God are you trusting in the will of God and praying according to his will it comes from Job 42 
Verse 1. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know. Remember, I said there's a lot of things we may not fully know. But Job says he knows this. I know that you can do all things. Do you believe that? That God can, is able to do all things. And that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And then he says this. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Church, we are to continually be growing in our walk with Jesus because there is still so much we don't know. I was talking to a brother right before service. In Sunday school, they had just talked about prayer. And so he had made the comment, you know, the, the older I get, the longer I live, the more I understand about prayer. The more power I find in prayer. I mean, we grow in these things. So maybe this morning you're discouraged about your prayer life. But let me just encourage you, keep seeking the Father. Keep praying. You want to know how you pray? You start to pray. You just begin to pray. Pray according to the will of God. And if you're struggling with that, seek somebody out and say, hey, will you help me? Will you help me to understand prayer? Will you pray with me? Will you covenant with me to help me in my prayer life? And if you're struggling with the will of God for your life, seek somebody out. Say, help, help me. Let me learn from you. Don't give up praying. Keep seeking the will of God. Keep trusting in the will of God because his purposes cannot be thwarted in your life. Let us rest on that truth. This morning, church, if you'll close your eyes and bow your head, I'm just going to close us with a word of prayer uh, in just a moment. And then uh, we have a couple announcements to make and then, and then we'll end our service. But if you will just close your eyes, uh, just, just bow your head, just take a moment right there. Let the spirit of God speak to you. I read a great quote this week that said prayer sometimes is not so much about speaking to God as it is from he hearing from God. So in this moment, will you just be still? I'm just going to be quiet. Will you just hear God, as he speaks to you, as he's taken the words that have been said and applies them to your heart, what is he calling you to do? How is he calling you to trust? How is he calling you to pray? And will you just trust him, embrace his will, and praise him? Hear from him for a moment, and then I'll pray for us. Father God, we live in a world filled with so much noise, so many distractions from our cell phones to television to a train that comes by every Sunday during church, so many noises, so much that seeks to drown out your voice. Oh God, on top of that, we have so many concerns and so many problems and, and, and so many burdens upon our heart. And Lord, we just bring all of this to you. We just say, Father, help us to hear you 
more clearly because you are a God who hears us and you're a God who answers us. You're a God who speaks to us. So help us to hear you. But Lord, help us also to pray. To pray according to your will and when your will is not our will, Father, will you help us to humble ourselves? Will you remind us that, Father, you know best? And There will be times in our life that that will be easier than others. Father, it's not easy. To the Spirit of God that indwells us, it is possible. So Lord, you bring us to a place of submission. And Father, right now, there may be somebody in our life that we are burdened for, that we see them walking down a road of rejecting Jesus Christ, and we know where that will lead, to an eternity in hell. Lord, may we not give up on them. May we continue to fervently pray for them. Father, maybe there is someone in our midst this morning who is living in sin, They have become enslaved to sin. They have walked away from you. They haven't lost their salvation, but they're not living in obedience to you. They're not living in your will. They're living outside of your will. Father, right now, would you convict them? Would they see your love and would you bring them back into a right relationship with you, walking in obedience to you? Sin is never better than obedience. So, Father, forgive us for when we fail to obey you and to follow you and to trust you. And Lord, as we think about your will, Father, certainly I think what's on so many of our minds right now is America. And Lord, we just pray that your will would be done in this country. That your will would be done through Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit in the church. That your church would be bold, that we would proclaim the gospel, that we would live as the light of the world, the salt of the earth. Lord, that you would do a great work here in our country. But Father, whatever your will and ultimate plan is for America, that we may not know. But what we do know is you said you will build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So God, build your church. Build the bride of Christ. Build the body of Christ for your glory and your honor as we seek to love this community. and To love our friends and our neighbors. Seeking to pray for them, but also seeking to share Christ with them. Be glorified, Father, we pray, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You have your, your bulletin. Ms. Barbara's going to come. She has a, a quick announcement about our bridging the gap. This is one of our ways that we, we minister here in our Jerusalem, right, our surrounding area, Noonan, Coweta County. So, Ms. Barbara, if you'll come, just some instructions that you need to follow as you help in this ministry. That should be on for you there, sweetie. Okay, good. Thanks. I am Tani's proxy this morning, so I'm not going to take credit for other than just being here. We again have the honor of adopting two families from uh, Coweta County. These are two families that are headed by single moms. They uh, are struggling just to put food on the table and put a roof over their head. So without us, the children will not be having a Christmas. One of the moms just went through a very nasty divorce. She's still struggling emotionally and physically from that. The other mom has stage four metastatic breast cancer. So obviously um, they are having to make some difficult choices um, with finances and things like that. And we're in a position to help out. Both families have two children, a boy and a girl. Um, So what we've done again this year out on the bulletin board next to the fellowship hall, 
we've put up some Christmas ornaments. They look like this. There's red ones. I think those are stockings, and then there are green ones. Each one has the child's name on it and the age, something that the child likes. Um, what comes to mind is one of the little boys is a 49ers fan. Um, then it has a suggested gift. Um, these gifts came from Tani talking to the mother um, as to what the children like or off of the wish list that we were actually given by bridging. So you know it is actually something the child would like. Now, new this year um, is something that I had specifically asked her to put on there. If you're like me, particularly older and a little farther away from the, the age group that this is, sometimes you look at this and you go, what in the world is that? Well, this year, there's a, a, a suggested, well, not really a suggested. It's a place where you can look like, okay, they saw this on Amazon. So you can go to Amazon, or um, this child wears clothes uh, from this particular store or likes this particular style. That would have helped me a whole lot last year, and I think it'll help a lot of us this year. What we'd like you to do then is take one, one or more of the ornaments off the, off the bulletin board there, buy that gift, don't wrap it, attach this to it, and bring it back. We'll have a box out here. We need them all back before December 9th. And then we'll have a big wrapping party on the 12th, which will give us an opportunity to actually meet the moms, love on them, pray for them, let them know that they are not alone in this journey that they're on, that they have all of us behind them. So um, if you would, you know, pray about it, you know, do what you need to do. We're also going to be asking for um, volunteers to help wrap because I know that's, some of you I know personally, that's your thing. And uh, you need to be there. We also are going to ask for a donation of uh, wrapping paper. If you've got, uh, you know, leftover wrapping paper from last year or you're down by the dollar store or whatever, um, so that we can wrap these for the moms. If you've got any questions, I'll try to answer them, but you better bet Tawny's phone number's in the bulletin. Your better bet would be to call her because she is the person who has actually spoken with both of these mothers. Thanks a lot. Really important, when you take one of those tags, please bring it back. Uh, if you don't bring the tag back, then they're left to guess who that was for, and we don't want anybody to get left out. So please bring the tag back with uh, the present. Uh, look, I know, let me, let me say this and then we'll close with prayer. I know we're asking you to do a lot uh, this time of the year. We have the shoe boxes. Uh, we do this ministry. We're going to emphasize the entire month of December, our Lottie Moon Christmas offering. But look, God has been good to us. Uh, and this is an opportunity for us to love on people who either have never heard of the gospel in another country uh, through the way of a shoe box or through two families right here uh, in Coweta County. So we have a, we have a responsibility uh, to love on these people and to do it well. Our Deacon of the Week is Dennis McMichael, so he's going to come uh, to pray while he's coming. Something is happening tonight at 6 o'clock, and I expect every single one of you to be here, right? Uh, while he's coming, man, Rebecca did an awesome job this morning. Did she not sing? And I love... Um, I love when our students get involved. We got one of our students back there, Micah, was running 
uh, the, the computer this morning, so he's doing that. And so, man, give him a round of applause. I believe that we try to give our young folks opportunities to serve uh, and to use their talents as much as possible. And, we, and when they do that, we need to let them know our appreciation for that. So, Dennis, if you'll come, if you'll stand, let's be dismissed with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for the privilege you give us to come before your throne of mercy and grace. Lord, we thank you that you hear us. Lord, that you not only hear us, but Lord, you care for us and Lord, you care for our concerns. So Lord, help us as we pray that uh, we would seek your will in whatever we ask. Lord, I pray that you just uh, guide us in our prayers, Lord, guide us in, our, in the way we interact with people. Lord, we've heard of a couple families, Lord, but there are people like that all around us. So Lord, help us be aware of what's going on around us and the people that we uh, might be able to interact and uh, introduce them to Jesus. So Lord, I pray that you just uh, help us to remember to, to pray, to seek your will uh, as we go through each day and uh, through each interaction we have with other folks that we might uh, please and honor you for it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.